0: That's right, Calvary Church, we are in a series entitled Captured by Grace, and I'm glad that you're on the journey with us. I hope that you brought a Bible. If not, no worries. We're going to put it on the screen for you. But uh, let's begin 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. We're going to walk together a little bit through this, but I think we're going to be very, very productive today. Here's how it reads. This is Paul writing to a young Timothy. It says, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life. Even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace. There it is. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all of those who would believe in him for eternal life. Come on, can you take your right hand place it on your heart? Come on, repeat after me this morning. Eyes to see. Come on, say it like you mean eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a mouth to confess all of the good things Christ has provided for me now just a quick second Could you lift your hands like this if you feel comfortable in this place come on Lord thank you thank you you know sometimes that's the greatest statement of faith is you just say thank you for everything that you have done some of us are celebrating the fact that we're here today some of us realize the worst that we have and we carry in this world some of us are even reminded in this specific moment That man, where he called us to way back when, it is still active and alive today. That calling is still alive and active today. Some of us are being reminded today that we are a son grafted into a family of God. Thank you, Jesus. Some of us are being reminded today how far we've come. call it a pit you can call it a prison whatever it is you got rescued from it and now you look back at it and you say God thank you thank you thank you for your grace thank you for your empowering spirit on the inside of me that leads me to glory to glory I pray that you reveal more and more of who you are to us I pray that you allow us to get a glimpse today of who we've been made to be in Jesus name Amen. Come on, you can give Jesus some praise. Come on, give him some praise. He's been good. Today, I want to start with a question. I think it's good that we ask questions, especially in church, because religion does, has done a great job of not allowing us to ask questions. So uh, I believe that we have a good God, and God is a secure God. He's a secure Father, so he's not afraid of any questions. And it's okay to ask Questions, Because the Bible does say that it is the spirit that will lead you into all truth. And if that's the case, then we really trust and believe that he's going to lead us into all truth, despite of the questions that we may have outside of the box or not. Okay, here's the question. Are you ready? Are you 100% completely righteous? Righteous. We don't use that word anymore. Rarely do we ever, except only in church it seems like. But righteous, righteous has some weight to it. And we're going to explain it in just a few minutes. Now, I don't, when I ask that, I don't want you to think about your neighbor, your spouse. Like, this is for you. Like, are you 100% completely righteous? And it's a great question it's an essential question because the answer to this question says a lot about our understanding of the gospel that we speak about and the God that we believe in. It says a lot about it. And so, so far in this series, up to this point, we have talked about a lot of things. We've discovered the truth of God's forgiveness, right? We've talked about the difference between our sins being covered versus uh, us being cleansed of our sins. And there's a difference. Last weekend, we talked about how we're as close to God as we will ever be. Let that sink in for a second. Just because you're in church on a Sunday morning doesn't mean you're closer to God than you were Friday night you're as close as you'll ever be. And so we learn that this Christian life is not so much about um, allowing him or or us living, I should say, um, our life for him, but allowing him to live his life through us. And there's a difference. So what about this question? Am I, are you righteous? What does that word righteous even mean in the first place? Because at the heart of the matter, the reality is we have a need. You have an innate desire on the inside of you to be made right with God. You don't believe me? Just do something bad and you'll feel it. And so for a lot of us, we become Christians. Over time, though, we realize that there's this flesh part of us that is very strong. And we're tempted. And so we're teased into falling, right, into the passions of this world. And so sometimes, get this, we can admit this, sometimes we give in. Is that all right to say? <laughs> sometimes we give in. But hear me, it's in these moments, in this, it's in the middle of these moments, in these seasons of failure that we question the legitimacy of our salvation, don't we? So we end up asking things like this, how could I have behaved like that if I was truly a new creation of God or we ask the question if God had declared that I am now righteous why do I sometimes mess things up so badly You see what's happening, you're like caught in this tension of God knowing you one way, and you wanting to know what God knows, but you got this thing over here that's just kind of like on you, and you feel it, right? And you end up asking questions, and you even ask the legitimacy of your own salvation. I've been there, I've done that. But there's a a, a theologian that talks about the concept of righteousness, and he says that righteousness is goodness that is good enough for a perfect God. So, this means that when God declares a person to be righteous, he is saying that I have made you good enough, you measure up to my standard of goodness that is required for a deep, intimate relationship. Think about that for a second. Because many of us haven't went to church or avoided church people or haven't asked for prayer because we feel like we can't approach holiness. Because we know that there's something wrong with us. And so my friends, you have to understand that because Jesus has declared these things over us, this is good news for us today. Because that standard of goodness isn't determined based on your recent behavior it's based on your birth into God's family. It's not based on your behavior. But it's based on your birth. And some people think that this is a dangerous idea because it might cause believers not to be serious enough about living the Christian life. You know, we got to honor this lifestyle. But I'm here to tell you today that without the righteousness of God as the core of who you are, there is no way to please God. This is why God had to do it and unfortunately there's there's a lot of believers even today who live as though that god's playing some kind of make believe game with us right that we live though uh, we live right as 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 christians but you know what we're christians and and but we're still sinners trying to do our best to act like saints or or we're christians you know but you know we're kind of orphans cuz you know we feel like we're alone and we're just pretending that we're sons and daughters. Or or maybe we think that we're just some beggars down here and, and we're just trying to get some scraps from our father's table. This, this is so tragic. This idea and this belief is so tragic. And can I tell you, it helps no one get close or even try to understand what God believes true about humanity. It helps no one. And so listen, that... Listen, when I say this, because there is nothing spiritual spiritual about beating yourself up. Let me say that again. There's nothing spiritual about beating yourself up. I've done a good job of that. Some of us have done a great job of that. We beat ourselves up. But that's not spiritual. Did you know that there's ancient monks in history who would practice self flagellation, and and they take whips and literally beat themselves, you know, so that they can feel like, you know, I put enough pain in, so maybe God will accept me. And we may not ever, ever go to that extreme in our circles, but we use our own torture devices. We use our own ways of self-punishment, whether it's through some form of penance where we think like we have to make up some make, make something up to God, or whether it's simply living in a constant psychological state of inferiority as we compare ourselves to other Christians that we see around us. These are mind games that God has freed us from. And and and, and hear me when I say this because I believe we've moved from receiving grace, right? And and now there's a new term that I want you to learn, and it's this, faith righteousness. Can you just say that with me one time? Faith righteousness. Faith righteousness, which is righteousness accredited to you, but you could only accept it by faith. If it was up to you to get your righteousness from God, then it would be called Faith works. It wouldn't even have the word faith in it. It'd be works righteousness. But God didn't call you that, He calls you to faith righteousness. So let's talk about the difference between being dirty and being righteous, because there's a lot of questions right now, especially in our day and age, of what it looks like to be holy and righteous, and what does it look like in in the context of God's grace. So let's talk about the truth of righteousness. Here's the first one I want you to write down, and we're going to go very quick today. Number one, righteousness is included in the salvation package. It's a package. It's a done deal, wrapped up nicely but it's included in the salvation package. Why do I say that? Because whenever you receive God's grace, you know that grace is free. You know it's a gift. You know that you're supposed to receive a gift. And I hope that you never reject the gift, hear me. I hope you receive the gift, right? Any gift, especially the one from God. Receive God's grace, which is a gift. But then as we go down our spiritual journey, we, we ignore the gift and we start trying to earn our own righteousness so that we can be accepted, loved, favored, blessed by God. That's not what God called you to. So this is where we need to start because many believers finally get to the point where they embrace God's total forgiveness, but they still have a very tough time believing that they're truly, truly righteous, or should I say good enough for God. You see, it's one thing to have your debt paid off. Any people debt-free in here, don't, don't raise your hands because we're going to expect more out of you. <laughs> free lunches, free dinners, free gifts. But, but for those of you that are debt-free, okay, for those of you that want to be debt-free, okay, you know the feeling that comes with that. There is freedom. Oh, my gosh, there's freedom, right? You don't have a debtor. You don't have anybody to owe. So it's one thing to have your debt paid off, meaning to have your negative account balance brought back to zero or even, but hear me, it's quite another thing to discover that not only did Jesus pay your negative balance, right? The debt that you owed, the sin that you had to pay for, but that he also filled the positive side of your account with enough of his own goodness, favor, perfection, blessing, and he put it into your account to where you'll never run out. <laughs> So it's one thing to believe he paid for our debts, but it's another thing to believe that he filled my account so much so that as long as I am here, I'm always experiencing God's favor and blessing and kindness and unconditional love and all these things that express and describe Jesus, right? It's another thing to to believe that because a lot of us think that as Christians, we're just merely uh, sinners uh, that are forgiven, But we have a hard time grasping that we're no longer sinners. But hear me, you're now considered saints. Saints because of the gift of righteousness. So what does does God say about his word? Listen, in Romans 3.10, and this is where Paul quotes the psalmist, and let's read through this. He says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. But hold up, pastor, if you're listening today, you'd say, pastor, hold on, you just said I'm righteous. But Paul is saying here, there's no one righteous, not even one. And then Paul goes on to explain that no matter how hard people try to become righteous, hear me, under the law, under rules, under regulations, and under rituals, they still fall miserably. In fact, He says that the law is only useful to make us conscious of how short we fall. So if you want to live by the law, if you want to live by moralism, then guess what? It's going to be in your face, and it's going to point to you each and every day you have fallen short. So in verse 21, there's a glorious turning point. Now check this out. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, Paul writes, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets has testified. Could it be Jesus? Absolutely, it's Jesus. So the first thing to understand is that true righteousness is something that comes apart apart, apart from the law. Why are we even talking about the law? Why are we even talking about the law? Because hear me, you you live, some of us still live by the law, moralism, ideologies, all these things that we think that'll make us right in the eyes of God. When it's not about that, remember, it's about faith, righteousness, not works, righteousness. So the law itself is righteous. Hear me. I'm not up here knocking the law. You can't, Leave this place and tell your friends, man. That dude over there, yeah, he don't respect the law. I respect the law. The law, in and of itself, is righteous, but it cannot provide the righteousness that you needed to live. The law is incapable of empowering us to accomplish what God called us to. And so, check out verse twenty-two. This righteousness is given through faith. There it is, faith righteousness. is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, everybody say with me, given. Given, given that's right. Did you realize that that word given is the word gift in the New Testament, which is For us in the Greek, it is charis. What does charis even mean? Well, charis is translated in the Bible as grace. Full circle. There we go. So in verse 22, Paul is saying that righteousness is a gift of God's grace, and it's to simply be received by faith in Jesus Christ. So when you and I believed in Christ for our salvation, listen, listen, we received righteousness. Because righteousness is to be received, not earned over time. Your right standing with God is to be received, not earned over time. And this is good news. And then that's why Paul continues with these powerful words that many of you have heard throughout your Christian journey and your Christian walk. Verse 23, put it up on the screen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, I have to pause here because I got to thank my English teachers. Because I see a comma, meaning that this verse is not done. Well, they don't have a comma up there, but in the Bible, there's a comma. Someone missed the comma. (laughs) Look it up. I promise it's there. But listen to me. We used to use this verse, and good nose-punching preachers will use this verse to put you back to work. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, when they hear that God's grace not only saves us, but empowers us, they'll stop you when they say, but wait a minute, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not perfect. God hasn't made you whole. He hasn't made you good. There's still some things to do here on earth. Look, this is what Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But let's continue because verse 24 continues it for us. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came. By Jesus Christ. And if you're glad for that, come on, you can give him some praise. Give him some praise that there's a comma. (laughs) It doesn't stop there. It continues. So the word justified shares the same root word as righteous in the Greek language. So to be justified literally means that God has declared you right. Woo! It takes faith to believe that, y'all. I'm not talking about your feelings. I mean, we can talk about feelings all day long. And, and feelings aren't bad. I'm not telling you don't feel. But what I am telling you that feelings aren't a great indicator of truth. This is why whatever God declares, we confess it. We confess it. And you know what confessing is? Confessing is agreeing with what God says about you. Confessing is agreeing with what heaven thinks about you. And so we have to change the way we confess because a lot of us come to this place, and we're like, God, I confess this. On Tuesday, I did this. On Wednesday, I cut them off. On Thursday, I thought about that person the wrong way. Friday, I did this. Confession is not that. Confession is agreeing with God. Confession is declaring, wait a minute, I am a son. I I am a daughter in God's kingdom that I've been brought back uh, from the slave market of sin, and now I'm whole, I'm free. I have his abundant power in me, and I have everything that I need pertaining to this life, to godliness, and everything to come. What a confession! Amen. Agreeing with God. Okay, number two. Here we go. Write this down. Righteousness is imputed through the cross. I know we don't use these words, imputed righteousness. There's another word that I'm gonna ask for you to learn. But hear me. These these terminologies, these phrases, these. T- These terms are important because they give you a deeper understanding into what God actually did for you. And so righteousness is imputed through the cross. I just made several statements regarding the effects of what the cross did for us, right? That he shed his blood, he redeemed us, he brought us back, right? And Romans 3.24 uses a word justification. And let's go just a little deeper on this because, again, to be justified, God, and if he says it, God is saying to you and declares over all of us today that we have been declared righteous. Okay, don't skip over that because if you were in a courtroom, And the sentence was about to be given by the judge and your fingerprints were on the stuff and you were caught in camera and all the evidence pointed to you being guilty. (laughs) But yet. God declares you righteous, meaning this, that in the courtroom. The judge being God, the judge being the father declares you righteous. How so? Because Jesus traded seats with you. So all the stuff, the evidence, my name on all those sins, all the things that I did, all, all the things that I've been worried about, even today, that I did back then, and the stuff that held me back emotionally, like all that stuff, I traded seats with Jesus, and God says, you are not guilty. So if you're not guilty, why do you condemn yourself? If you're not guilty, then hear Jesus' words today. It was for freedom that you have been set free. And you may live free, experience this freedom, that you may live in this continuous relationship with God, this conversation that you can have. There's meaning this, that God did everything that he could possibly do to take away any awkwardness, to take away anything that prohibits you from coming to him. You know, some of the toughest things or issues, I would say, are relational issues. Think about it for a second. Because you in moments, in heat of the moments, like you never really, really know what the other person's thinking. And I hope they still respect me. Like they still think of me like the same. Like I don't want to say it. I'm too, I don't want to say sorry first. I'm not going to be the one to say sorry first. Like, that'd be the Christian thing to do. No, I'm not. <laughs> but you get me. God, God made it up in his mind. That he wasn't going to let those things get in his way. So he pursued and pursued. And then he showed you how much he loves you by sending his son. the personification of his love. That, hey, even Jesus said it. You want to show great love? There's no greater love than the sacrifice for your friends. And what did he do? He went to the cross and s- was sacrificed so that you can have perfect union with the Heavenly Father. So God did everything possible to get all that weird stuff that would prohibit this relationship from continuing in union. He, 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 he took all that stuff away and he's in us. But it's us that get in the way. Because we condemn ourselves, and then we attribute it to God. When God is thinking to himself, no, 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 no. I loved you from the foundation of the world. Like, I showed you at the cross. Like, you have my spirit. Like, every day I'm reminding you how much I love you, and it's not found in your circumstance. It's found in my presence. See, a lot of us try to find God's love in circumstances, but it's not that. It's always in his presence, in his presence that he's with you, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise to you. And remember that this this thing that we're walking, it's not a pursuit, it's a promise. It's not a pursuit, it's it's a promise. God promised to be with us. God promised to guide us. God promised to love us through our worst days. God promised to remind us of who we are when we're believing something that we're not. God promised over and over and over, he's promised. And it's us, it's us. So when God imputed Christ's righteousness to you, he essentially, what he did, he swapped your account with Christ. And even though you were guilty for your sins and even though your fingerprints were on those things, Christ took that sin upon himself and credited or imputed his own righteousness to your account. He did it. And this is absolutely incredible news, but like I say it like my six-year-old, it gets gooder <laughs> because it means you've been given a new, a new position in Christ. There's a whole lot that comes with this gospel, and I'm telling you, you'll never get to the end of it Lift your hands in his presence. You've been given a new position in Christ, meaning that you're no longer in the position of a convict. Hear me, child of God. Now you're in the position as a child to receive from your father. You're no longer a sinner, but you've been made into a saint. You're no longer a failure, but you're a friend of God. You're no longer a thorn in God's side, but you are the apple of his eye. You're no longer his worst enemy, but you are a new creation to the core. You're no longer a victim. Hear me. You're no longer a victim, but you are a victor in Christ Jesus. You believe that? Come on, clap your hands and give him some praise. So that's what the cross did for you, and it's exceptional. It's an amazing thing that God did. And you see, oftentimes we're taught that our righteousness before God is positional. But it is not just positional, but it is actual, meaning this, that we think God is somewhere up there uh, choosing to see us through a filter. Snapchat, Instagram, you pick your filter. We all use them. Should we count to three and just name our favorite one? I know you have them. All right, let's do it. One, two, three. Paris. Y'all left me up here by myself for real? Wow. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. You use them. Don't lie. The point is this, okay? (laughs) Now when you go on to my store, you're going to, oh, that dude's using Paris. (laughs) Never going to get away with that ever again. Okay. The point is that God doesn't choose to see you through his Jesus goggles. Hear me. Growing up I used to believe that man, okay, God God knows me. Like, come on, He's He knows what's really, really inside of me. Like He knows, like He just chooses to see me through through Jesus, right? Jesus Goggles, basically God's pretending that I am righteous as though he's looking through a filter when I'm, when I'm really not. And, and that's what's really going on. Well, there's some great news in the gospel because God doesn't need a filter in order to look at you. He's not, he's not putting on Jesus' goggles or, or some kind of filter and pretending to tolerate you. Even though he really thinks that, you know, you're a loser. You see, because our righteousness is positional. But it's not only positional. Our righteousness is actual. It's a real thing. It is our reality. It is what God has imputed to us. And because he's imputed that to us, we have been made righteous. Okay, number three, here we go. Righteousness is imparted to us through the resurrection. So you got imputed and you got imparted. Imputed and imparted. What does imparted even mean? This means that he's not only given you a new position in Christ, but hear me, this is where I get excited. He's given you a new disposition. (laughs) Not only a new position, but a new disposition. And this is often one of the toughest things for Christians to understand and embrace about the radicality of God's grace that has been given to all of us. Because as I'm saying this, oh, yeah, faith is increasing on the inside of you because that's what the gospel does. That's what the grace message does because you start seeing what Jesus actually did for you as a whole, right? And so faith rises up. But, but here's where you start to question, wait, wait. I still struggle, I still struggle, I still mess up and when we struggle we believe to ourselves and we think if it's really true that God hasn't just declared that I am righteous positionally but has also replaced my old sinful character with the righteousness character of Christ then why do I still struggle with wanting to sin all the time? Have you ever wrestled with that? Because I can can guarantee you that if you embrace this grace message, if you receive this message the way God intended you, you're going to wrestle with that. But then we continue to believe, well, if I'm really new, why don't I always feel new? And if I'm no longer a sinful As I feel, why do I sometimes feel like I'm full of sin? And if I'm no longer a sinner, why do I enjoy sin so much? These are real questions. But I got a real message for you. And it's going to shock you because I'm here to tell you that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, meaning that if you receive the very life of Christ, if you believe the death, burial, and resurrection, if you believe in Jesus today, guess what? You don't truly want to sin. You don't truly want to sin. Do you realize that? Let that sink in for just a moment. Now, it's certainly true that the flesh wants to sin. You remember last week we read from Galatians chapter 5 how we described how we read this? and, And let's go back to it, verse 17. It says it like this For the flesh, there it is, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you you want. Okay, most of us, we read it through the lens of the flesh. What if you read it through the perspective of grace? You do not do what you want. So, Do do you see that? The flesh is always trying to get you to do what you do not want to do, which is what? to walk in step with the Spirit. All right. Because that's truly what you really want to do. At the core of your being, at the very core of your being, you want to walk in step with the Spirit as a new creation. You crave walking in the Spirit because you know that God has the market cornered on fulfillment. So the world, the flesh, and the devil can, yeah, they can offer you some cheap imitations, but only God knows what will satisfy, which is walking in step with the Holy Spirit. So, yes, the flesh is with you. And Paul said that in Romans 7, that sin is living in the members of your body. But sin and flesh, hear me, they don't define you. They're not you. And we discover this in Genesis. Do you remember that? After Adam and Eve fell, we find in the next chapter that sin is spinning out of control. And we find Cain in this moment. He commits the first murder uh, of his brother Abel. And, and in the lead up to the tragedy, God knows the evil that Cain is harboring. Read it for yourself. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 says it like this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Okay, this is where I'm glad for English teachers again because that statement, one more time, we need to read it. Cain was tormented. Yeah, he was tormented. And so there are a couple things that we need to know about this verse. First, notice that God separates Cain from sin. God refers to sin in the third person using an impersonal pronoun, it. So from the very beginning, God wanted his people to understand that while sin is with us, sin is not you. Thank you, Jesus. And secondly, God sets up what will ultimately become the battle of the ages, which is the question, how in the world Are we going to rule over sin it becomes the question for the church for our nation for each family how in the world will we overcome sin because the Jews tried it through the law hey it didn't work the Gentiles tried it through pagan religious practices and guess what it didn't work well hello 2021 in modern times legalistic christians have tried through moralism good versus bad and various behavior modification techniques and strategies and guess what that didn't work but therein lies the miracle of the gospel. Many people think that Christianity is primarily a means of behavior modification. They think that Christianity is to, it, the whole intent is supposed to make you behave, behave, behave. And many of us, we may not say it out loud. We may say that it's all about Jesus and it's all about relationship. But at the end of the day, if we're doing this journey wrong, you know what happens? Our our occupation becomes fighting sin and not living for God and so what happens is we're paranoid Christians fighting sin fighting sin and all we hear is these messages on seven steps to overcome sin and I hear messages that I'm a sinner and I hear messages that 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 all have fallen, but they never give me the other stuff. They never give me the meat of the message, which is that I've been saved by grace through faith. That I've been redeemed. That I've been bought back with the blood. That I'm grafted into the family. They never tell me that. And all I hear is doom and gloom that Christians rise up and you need to point at wrong things and call it out. and But they never tell me to trust. That Christ is in me and he's advancing his kingdom. And at the end of the day, my future, his church, your family, your future is bright. Why? Because he's working in me with his power and don't get that confused with the big bang show and the stuff falling from the ceiling and that stuff can happen but hear me victories victories they come in everyday life and those little victories in your everyday life they turn into big monuments that you look back and you say God your grace, it was there. And if it was there, then what I'm dealing with today, it's here. <laughs> it's here. I need Benadryl. Allergies, messing up. <laughs> Religion. Want you to focus on merely changing your behavior when the gospel declares over all of us that jesus changed our very nature to the core of who you are and this is what this point is all about you see god not only imputed the righteousness of christ through the cross, but he imparted the righteousness of Jesus through the empty tomb, and we don't worship a dead Savior. We don't worship a guy who lived a perfect life then died as a perfect sacrifice, and then the credits roll, the end, vamus, we're all out of here. No, that's not the end. He lives, and he lives, and he lives, and because he lives, we live. And so if you want to talk about obedience that's awesome let's do it but Paul calls it obedience from the heart a lot of us try to obey from the head I know what I got to do but you don't know what you got it it's from the heart it's first receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ faith righteousness it's from the heart And many Christians struggle to believe this because they think that they want to sin all the time. And and how could it be true that their righteousness is a real, literal, actual righteousness by God that has been replaced from their crooked character with the character of Christ himself? Here's the reality for all of us this morning. The truth is we don't actually want to sin. Because if you have Faith, righteousness, if you have the righteousness of God in Christ, then guess what? You don't want to sin. The flesh wants to sin. The devil tempts us to sin. Yeah, the world and society trick us into believing that we want to sin. But hear me, at the core, at the core of who you are, at the core of who God made you to be, we don't want to do it. Which is why we feel so miserable when we do. I mean, before we were believers, some of us stayed up at night just being creative on how to sin. <laughs> we thought of ways on how we could sin. Listen, but now when we sin, oh, it feels messy. That's because we're no longer compatible with sin, it's no longer fitting for a person who is deemed righteous. So every time that you happen to sin, you may feel like a hypocrite. You feel double-minded. And that's not a bad thing. Hear me. That pain, the uncomfortable feeling that you have about your sinful behavior is an internal alarm reminding you that you have been recreated in God's image. So maybe the Holy Spirit is ministering to me rather than being the cosmic sheriff of the universe and telling me, feel bad. What if the Holy Spirit is ministering to me to remind me, wait a minute, David, you're not the sin that you just committed. You're a son, you're a child in my kingdom, you have favor, you're worth more than the action that you just did, stand up kid, stand up, look up, keep going, keep faith alive, faith righteousness, receive it today, receive it tomorrow. What if the Holy Spirit ministers to us in that way? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and I promise I'm done. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That we might become, hey, there it is, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So say it out loud, come on. That's right, you can give God praise for that. Say it out loud with me. I am the righteousness of God. Say it one more time. I am the righteousness of God. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today. God has actually rigged the system in your favor. People think it's dangerous for me to speak and preach a gospel so radical as to emphasize that every sin that you'll commit is forgiven that God will never be angry with you again. And certainly, it would be irresponsible of God to set up a system like that if his plan included that he would leave you. But he didn't leave you. (laughs) He gave you the Holy Spirit to guide you, to give to you, to guard you and so he hasn't left you no he made you new and you have the counselor with you all the time and so i've heard people say pastor yeah this grace message it's good and man i feel good after it and it's good but it doesn't really get into discipleship and i have to confess that i get a little animated when i hear that Because the fact of the matter is, is that growing deeper in the gospel of grace is the single most impactful reality of discipleship that you could ever conceive. Meaning this, that the more and more that you hear the accurate, the accurate message of God's grace, that is discipleship. (laughs) Because you're learning how to view God the way he intended you to view him. And in the same time, you're learning how to view yourself on what he actually accomplished for you. And so every time that we gather, whether it be in a circle or whether it be in a Sunday morning experience, we're going deeper and deeper. And because you're going deeper, you are being discipled. Because how am I supposed to talk about lifestyle choices? How am I supposed to talk about life issues if we struggle to believe who God made us to be? I can't do it. Because discipleship, it rises and falls. It begins and ends with identity in Christ. And I'm telling you, you, if you want to hear preaching that'll give you endless list of things to do and become a better person of yourself, I can recommend you multiple churches in our area. I hope you don't do that. I hope you walk the journey with us. But what you need is a constant reminder. You don't need me up here telling you what to do. No. You need a pastor who is going to remind you, (laughs) who reminds you that you are redeemed, that you're favored, that you have everything you need in this life to walk and conquer and live above sin and live above the things that tried to drag you down, you need to be reminded, faith, righteousness, not works, righteousness. So think about it for a second. If you're just a dirty, rotten sinner, if all of this at the end of the day and you say, you know what, that was good, but I know me and I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner, then what's one more sin thrown on the pile? No, serious. But if it's true that you are a new creation in Christ, if it's true that you you are unconditionally loved, if it's true that you're irreversibly clean, if it's true that you're irrevocably close, if it's true that God has blessed you and he sees you highly favored, if it's true that nothing will separate you from the love of God, if it's true that you've been set apart to be anointed and carry his holiness, if it's true that you are royalty, of the highest order, then and then only will you live like it. With every head bowed, every eye closed. This, and I'm trying not trying to work you up, but I really feel this this morning faith, righteousness. Oh, that you receive it by faith today, by faith today. Lord, give us eyes to see. Some of us need to see. This is what the scales on the eyes of, uh, uh, fell off of Paul, that, that our, our, the scales of our eyes may fall. The scales of religion, of self-righteousness may fall, and we may see Jesus, who he really is. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Day that the Holy Spirit is a guide guiding you into all truth but guiding you even through life situations questions can paralyze Holy Spirit empowers Holy Spirit activates questions when questions come fear comes with it which paralyzes if you find yourself in a moment where you're stuck, lean into the Holy Spirit. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Not only does He guide you, but He guards you. Many of us are paralyzed by the fear that comes with the future. We can't move forward because we fear the future. What if? What if? I want to remind you today that you can find confidence in your God today because the Holy Spirit guards you, guards you, guards you, and even when you make a wrong decision, the Holy Spirit gives a course correction. What a good God. Holy Spirit guides, guards, here it is, Holy Spirit gives, gives, gives wisdom, gives peace, gives clarity, gives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving to us such a giving God. Thank you for giving peace to us in the middle of a storm. Thank you for giving courage to us. When fear is all around, thank you for giving us your love. When we feel unlovable, thank you for giving your forgiveness to us. When we thought we were unforgivable, thank you for giving to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for guiding us, guarding us, and giving to us. Jesus, I pray for my friends. I thank you that, Lord, they're empowered by your grace. I thank you that as they leave this place today that they would know for certain and be assured where they stand with you, and it's a right standing. Thank you. Thank you that you remain everything, our substance for this life in Jesus' name. And everyone said,